Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Rubino. Uh, he is the manager of the popular financial website dollarcollapse.com. He's also the author of a book called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Jordan. Good to be on. Give us a little bit of background about you uh, leading into creating Dollar Collapse and doing that book. Okay. Yeah, I, I started out as a Wall Streeter. You know, I spent 10 years in the 1980s as a, uh, a junk bond analyst, among other things, in New York. And, uh, you know, when it came time to settle down, my wife and I decided to uh, to move to someplace where it would be easy to have kids. So we, we left New York, and I started writing about the stuff that I had, had been doing. Um, and that was, uh, let's say, in the early 1990s when that happened. And I, and I was paying attention to stuff like gold and, and uh, um, crisis-type investments in addition to tech stocks and stuff at the time. So um, I eventually met a guy named James Turk, who is a, you know, is, is a big name in the gold industry. And he and I decided to write a book together called The Coming Collapse of the Dollar, which was really about how precious metals would go up in the inevitable currency crisis from all the debt that we were taking on. Um, and since that time, that's been kind of my beat. I set up um, dollarcollapse.com as a website to promote that book, and it's just grown into a general um, gloom and doomy kind of news site that I've been managing as a side project ever since. And, uh, and you know, it's allowed me to keep my hand in the, the whole gold bug crisis investing kind of world, which I think is becoming more interesting over time. You know, we're reaching a point where um, you really want to, you're really going to want to protect yourself from the financial crisis that inevitably flows from all the debt that we're taking on. And, uh, you know, gold and silver and other related kinds of investments are probably a, gr a great place to be going forward. So that's become kind of my, my beat as a reporter. And, uh, and the thing that I, I talk about most often now, just because it's the most topical thing that's out there. All right, we're going to get into that in more detail. What are some things that people can find at dollarcollapse.com? Well, there's a, uh, you know, whatever I write shows up there. And then there's a continuously updated news link uh, at, the, um, at, at dollarcollapse.com where there are links posted to the stories that are in this space. In other words, inflation-related stories, precious metals, um, financial crisis-y kinds of things, politics, and also uh, clean tech, just because that's an interest of mine. I wrote a book about it a while ago and and still think it's a very interesting part of the global economic story. Um, so the idea is that you can um, show up at dollarclaps.com, spend an hour in the morning, and be pretty much up to date on the gloom and doomy side of the uh, the global financial system and politics, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the common view these days is that everything's going great. The stock market has been soaring for the most part for nine years. Interest rates are still relatively low. Inflation is officially uh, low. Uh, the tax cut is stimulating all kinds of investment. Investors are euphoric. Uh, gold has not really done that much for, for quite a while. So what is, what's wrong with that picture? 
<laughs> well, this is the kind of picture that usually prevails right before some kind of a crisis. If you go back to, say, 2006, 2007, uh, people thought that home prices would always go up because they'd been going up for such a long time and that the easiest way to make money was to buy a bank stock or a home builder stock or just a home itself. You know, And that turned out to be disastrously wrong. Um, the previous cycle say 1998, people thought that the way to get rich was just to buy tech stocks and let them ride because tech stocks always go up. So in, in other words, when something's been going on for a long time, we tend to extrapolate that trend into the indefinite future. But what's really happening while a bull market in an asset class is going on and while the economy is growing is that it's building up imbalances. People are getting too excited. They're taking on too much debt. And at a certain point, the, um, the weight of that debt overwhelms whatever good is going on out there and you get a big financial crisis, you know, with a, a bear market in stock prices and house prices going down and, and uh, the attendant political turmoil that goes along with things like that. Um, I would argue that we, we're there again. You know, we've had a nine year bear market in equities or bull market bull, in equities. Market, so. yeah. 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 And and which, you know, I, I frankly didn't think it happened because I thought the 2008-2009 crisis was the end of the road for the current experimental financial system, which, you know, we can talk about how we got to that point um, in a minute. But um, they were able to um, to do some new po monetary policies, some really aggressive deficit spending and pull us out of what could easily have become a Great Depression in 19 or 2008-2009 um, but at a cost of huge amounts of new debt everywhere in the world you know you look at any major society now and it's it's grossly over indebted at the government level at the corporate level and at the individual level uh, so this almost has to blow up in our faces uh, the question becomes one of timing then you know is it this year or is it five years from now that's what we can't know but the you know the the, the disaster that's coming is pretty much baked into the cake so what are the imbalances? Is it just the amount of debt or are there other imbalances that you see that you think well, will be righted? Debt and things that are, are really debt but not called debt, uh, they are the biggest imbalances. For instance, the, the federal government doubled its debt during the George Bush years, meaning that uh, in that one administration, we borrowed more money than all the previous presidential administrations combined. Then the Obama administration came along and doubled the debt again. You know, they borrowed more money than, uh, than Bush plus all the previous guys. Now we're doing the same thing under Trump. We are, um, we're cutting taxes, increasing infrastructure spending and increasing defense spending, which will require us to have trillion dollar deficits going forward basically forever. Um, one step down at the corporate sector, corporations have been borrowing record amounts of money in order to buy back their own stock in the last few years. In other words, they're not building factories with the money they're borrowing. So they're not generating any, generating any extra cash flow from that investment. They're just buying back their own stock in order to, uh, to increase their earnings per share number and to make their executives look good and, and get bigger bonuses at the end of the year. Um, now corporate debt in the U.S. is at record levels. And in as a percentage of GDP, it's pretty much where it was in 1999, right before the tech stock bubble burst, and in 2007, right before the housing bubble burst. So we're back to crisis level debts in the corporate sector. And individuals, you know, the, the government has been encouraging us with really low interest rates 
to borrow more and more money year after year after year. And so we've got a student loan bubble and a how not a housing bubble, but a, a housing boom going on right now and a car loan bubble. And so consumers are as indebted as they've ever been as well. So, you know, you throw all that into the mix and you get a society that can't handle any kind of an external shock. You know, anything that happens to us um, that causes people to get a little nervous and stop borrowing money or to try to pay off their debts will send the economy into a tailspin just because, um, you know, a, a, a national economy when it comes to debt works the same way as a family's economy does. You know, if, you, um, if you've maxed out your credit cards and you've got a big mortgage and a, um, a car loan, et cetera, et cetera, you can't get sick. The roof can't leak. You know, no, no bad thing can happen because you don't have any money left to pay for it. Uh, so it's an instant crisis. Well, it's the same thing for the U.S. and Europe and China and Japan and the global economy in general. We're so highly leveraged that anything that happens going forward can tip us over into something that's worse than the uh, the Great Recession of 2008-2009. Uh, so it's just a question of when that thing happens and what it is. But, you know, You're to guarantee that, that something's happening. There's a psychological aspect to it as well as a financial aspect. Is that right? And those people oh, go from <clears throat> to fear, basically, and th- they pull in their behavior. Like after 2008, consumer spending went down and there was a credit crunch. So there's, there were psychological reasons which kind of exacerbated the downturn, which on the upside, right now we're kind of pretty ebullient and uh, people think nothing can go wrong. Is that, so that, yeah, that's, tell us that's, about the psychological aspect of it. Yes, well markets are basically psychological constructs. You know, they, they only exist because we decide that um, it's worth our while to buy something or to borrow some money or whatever. Uh, and we only make that decision when we're not terrified. <laughs> you know, if something happens to scare us, you know, the first thing that we do is stop borrowing money and stop spending money. If you, suddenly your livelihood is threatened, you're not going to take that big vacation. You're not going to redo the kitchen. You're not going to buy a brand new um, SUV or big screen TV. You're going to wait and see what happens and do things to raise cash instead of expend cash. Well, when that happens society-wide, that's a recession. You know, that's when people decide that they don't want to go out and spend a ton of money anymore. Businesses don't want to invest anymore. And uh, and so people get laid off from their jobs. Companies go bankrupt. Houses get repossessed. And the economy shifts into reverse. And it begins with, a, you know, usually with some kind of a psychological change in the, uh, uh, the marketplace. And that so what, phase What could change, be a, a tipping point? That would create that psychological change. Oh, that was there are tons of things that can happen. For instance, um, equity prices right now are overvalued. They should go down just based on the valuation. So let you know a normal bear market take place, which ha- you know has nothing necessarily to do with the the broader economy. It's just that stock prices got ahead of themselves. But let stock prices drop by twenty percent, let's say, then that activates something called the wealth effect where if your stocks are going up, you feel richer and you're more likely to borrow and spend. Well, that works in reverse too. You know, and if stocks go down, you feel poor and stupid. And you don't want to go out there and then buy stuff with borrowed money because you're, you're nervous about what the future holds since you turned out to be so wrong with your stock portfolio. Uh, and, and again, when it happens across a society, then the economy shifts into reverse and you get a recession. But there's lots of other things that could happen. You know, some kind of geopolitical thing. If we get into a shooting war 
with any of the the several countries that we're threatening to do that with now, uh, that will terrify everybody. If there's a uh, a natural disaster of pretty much any kind that's uh, that's big enough to scare people, that can do it. If we have a political um, event here that scares people, for instance. Um, if Donald Trump were to get indicted <laughs> by uh, uh-huh. the, the Mueller so the, investigation. The first place you'd see that would be the markets, is that right? And then what, that would change change the psychology is what you're saying. Yeah, very possibly. I mean, it would scare pe- people who are um, thinking that good times are here again because we got a president who's cutting taxes and bringing jobs home. If he gets swept out of office by some kind of a scandal then those people are going to get nervous. You know, they're, they're not going to have this thing out there that they were counting on. And it, it almost doesn't even matter what happens after that, who comes into office after that. It's just that big change spooks people who had gotten used to the way things are right now. And, and, um, th- and, and that's just three, you know, geopolitics, dom- domestic politics, and stock prices uh, on a list that's much longer. You know, lots of things could happen that, uh, that blows up an economy that is this highly leveraged. So it almost, well, there, there's a guy named Jim Rickards who's written some best-selling books on the subject of the crisis that's coming. And, and uh, an analogy he uses is um, a mountainside that's been getting a lot of snow. Well, it, it reaches the point eventually where there's going to be an avalanche, right? And yep. one snowflake is going to hit, and it's going to be the snowflake that starts the avalanche. But it, that snowflake was not special. And it could have been another snowflake, but the the avalanche was ready to happen. So something eventually happened to cause it to happen. Um, it's the, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Exactly, kind of. exactly. And so we have a lot of straws out there. The camel's back is ready to break okay. <laughs> just because we All borrowed right. so much money. All um, right, we're going to take a break now. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Rubino. Uh, he runs the website dollarcollapse.com. His book is called The Money Bubble what to do before it pops. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there, struggling to keep up with credit card payments, searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt. Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, Visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Rubino. Uh, He is the manager at dollarcollapse.com. His book is called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. Welcome back to the show, John. Hey, Jordan. So we're talking about the the straw that breaks the camel's back or the snowflake that causes the avalanche, I guess. So let's just get into the avalanche a little bit and how much debt has been built up. I mean, we're currently at roughly $21 on the federal debt. At what point, I mean, I, I get this question all the time, is it $25 trillion? is it $30 trillion? At a certain point, when does it become unsustainable, the amount of debt that we're adding? Because as you're right, we've, we passed this tax bill, and officially we're going to be adding trillion-dollar debts as far as the eye can see here. Yeah, and, and the national debt, as it's now reported, is just the tip of the iceberg because um, we have the – this thing called unfunded liabilities, which is the money that we should have put away to cover um, Social Security and Medicare, but we didn't put it away. And so we owe it at some point, and that is $50 trillion. So it's so it's, that's not part of the official $21 trillion. No, but it's real debt. It's just something yeah. that the government reports it, but it doesn't consider it to be part of the debt or the deficit because it's just this liability that's building up. And, you know, it, the only way that we don't pay that money is if we stiff baby boomers and don't give them health care. No. And, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I, I can speak from absolute generational certainty that that will never be allowed to happen. <laughs> you know, we are the most gen- uh, um, selfish or, or generation that has ever existed. We won't Not give up our benefits. Retirement income as well. But let, yeah. let's, let's look at the examples of some countries that exist now that have gone kind of over the edge, I guess you might say. Venezuela, uh, Zimbabwe, Greece would be three that come to mind. I mean, public services do get cut back. I mean, what can we learn from those countries that have taken on far due debt and basically got rid of their currencies and done all kinds of dramatic things? What can we learn from the Venezuelas and Greeces of the world so that we don't do it? Well, we, we can learn that that's a repeating pattern throughout human history. You know, governments get a little ahead of themselves. They, they decide they want to spend too much money relative to what they can take in through taxes, and then they borrow the difference. And they find out that that's really easy to do at first. So they keep doing it until they reach a point where 
um, nobody wants to hold their currency anymore. Because if, if you assume that, for instance, Greece has no choice but to devalue its currency to get out from under the massive debts that they've taken on, then you don't want to hold drachmas, right? Because you know that the government has to make them less and less valuable. Uh, and, and that is, well, that's one of two outcomes to taking on too much debt. The other is a 1930s-style depression where everybody goes bankrupt and the debt disappears through default. Um, the, the countries that you just cited have gone the inflationary route where they decide that um, they, they've got to devalue their currencies and they just do it. And then everybody loses faith in them and the system just spins out of control. You know, you look at um, Venezuela right now and think that can't possibly happen here. But if you look at financial history, go back, you know, 2000 years to the Roman Empire and then come forward through all the financial crises that we've had since there have been markets. And, uh, and you see that it happens over and over again, sometimes to big powerful countries like the Roman Empire, they had a hyperinflation, where the, the value of their currency just plunged to next to nothing. Um, and then Germany after World War One, same thing, they, um, they couldn't pay their war reparations and printed a lot of new um, Deutschmarks. Weimar, Weimar Republic. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And their currency just evaporated. So we are making those same mistakes in the US, Europe, Japan, and China right now. You know, we're borrowing way too much money and we're borrowing and, and in order to pay for spending at the government level that we, we don't feel comfortable getting by raising taxes. Uh, and Jordan, would that help? If, if you were running things, would raising taxes be the solution for you so we don't take on so much debt? Well, early on, if we lived within our means, we would be required to spend less money. Because if you've got to go out to, and, and get it from people, then you really have to prioritize, right? You don't spend frivolous money when you're literally taking it from people who cannot vote for you or vote against you if they, they feel like it. And but so this is around the world. I mean, we're not only taking it domestically, but we're bringing money to cover our deficits from China and Europe and all kinds of places. So oh, yeah. You know, you, you can look at it as us borrowing our defense budget every year from China. <laughs> that's, right. that, that, that's a um, a separate thing that is also a form of borrowing, which is the trade deficit, where we buy more stuff from them than they buy from us. And we got to make up the difference, right, by um, giving them money which then they use to buy bonds denominated in dollars. And then so we owe them the interest on those bonds. So yeah, it, it, wherever you look, too much money is being borrowed. And you know, if we have time to go back to how this all started, it's an interesting story because it wasn't always like this. <laughs> you know, there was, there was a time not well, so long ago. Before the Federal Reserve in 1913, yes. there was no kind of thermostat on the economy. And we had huge booms and huge busts. You think that well, was better than when the Federal Reserve came in? Vastly better. And, you know, we did have huge booms and huge busts. But if you look at, for instance, the inflation rate for 200 years under the um, uh, under the classical gold standard, when money, a, na a nation's money was just a name for a weight of gold, um, we had steady growth punctuated by, you know, the, the occasional 
big crisis, but then the crisis ended right away. You know, it was like a two-year depression and then things went back to normal. So we had steady growth at a higher rate than we have now. And we had not just zero inflation, but actual deflation. Money got more valuable year after year. Um, and it shouldn't be a surprise that uh, the world was talking about a global or, or a golden age uh, before World War One. You know, we thought that we had it licked. And part of the reason that things were so good back then is because we had sound money. You know, governments were constrained in their spending uh, by having to go out and get gold. Yeah. yeah, they had to go get gold if they wanted to start a war with somebody or if they wanted to uh, create a big entitlement that they couldn't pay for through taxes, they would have to go find gold from somewhere. And so that that constrained them because that wasn't easy. There was a limited amount of gold in the world. Um, but still a limited amount of gold. But you're saying, I mean, would it make sense in theory to go back to a gold standard now? Yes. Uh, and the reason for that is that gold is a form of money that has existed for 3,000 years and has been valuable for 3,000 years, but its supply only grows by about 2% a year. Because it's hard to get out of the ground, right? You can't just go get 10% more gold by by finding it and then mining well, al it. it. Alchemy takes... is good, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that's that's the flaw in the the uh, the gold standard idea is that if somebody finds a way to make gold from seawater or something like that, then okay, that changes everything. But until <laughs> then, <laughs> uh, and, until then, if you link your currency to gold, you de facto limit the growth of your money supply, and that means the money that you, you, know, you create as a government will hold its value over time. And that's a tremendously good thing because of what money is. You know, money's a store of value, first of all, and you need it to hold value over time or there's no reason to store it, right? You don't save something that's gonna get less valuable year after year. But that means but, that all the promises that have been made with that money, like Medicare and Social Security and pensions, we wouldn't have the money for it. So we'd have to default on all of those promises. Yes. So, see, that's why it's it's hard to get from here to there because you've got to get rid of that debt somehow, right? Yeah. And what we're going to do, instead of just saying, oh, yeah, we, we screwed up with this fiat currency stuff, we're going to go back to the gold standard. What we're going to do is devalue the dollar a little bit year after year so that we're still paying Social Security to people, but the dollars we're using to pay them are a little less valuable each year, and that, that makes it possible for us to cover these debts over time. Because if we, you know, if we cut the value of the dollar by three quarters over the next 20 years, then our debts are also cut by three quarters in real terms. But the risk with that, and the reason it has never worked historically is that people figure it out. <laughs> you know, once you see it happening, you aren't gonna hold dollars anymore. So the minute you get a paycheck and there's some extra dollars in that paycheck, you're gonna convert that to real stuff, you'll buy farmland or you know, piece of so real, real, real assets in, in yes. an inflationary environment. But I mean, officially, inflation, the CPI is like two percent or less these days. So officially, and it's been that way for a long time. In fact, we've had deflation. So officially, that's not been happening. We've not been devaluing the dollar. Oh, actually, actually, we have been big time. It's but we don't count the places where the money we're creating has been going lately. See when. 
when you create a lot of new currency, throw it out of the market, you can't really control where it's going to go. Sometimes it goes into toothpaste and, and ground beef, and then you get consumer inflation. Sometimes it goes into financial assets. See, you know, the, the stock market that has tripled in the last decade and the bond market that has a has had a 30-year bear market or bull market where, where bond prices have been going up year after year for as long as most people have been alive, that's inflation. You know, so these are in, asset bubbles, as you would say, right? Yeah, an asset bubble is, is real inflation. I mean, it, it affects your cost of living if you want to invest, right? If stocks got twice as expensive then it's twice as hard for you to invest your money because uh, the, the stuff you're trying to invest in is way more expensive. Same thing with bonds, same thing with houses. You know, the, the home price increase of the past 50 years has been inflation. The stock market going through the roof, that was inflation. In, in, in the sense that the dollar is going down relative to those things. So we've had raging inflation. It's just not showing up in the government's official numbers. So they can say, well, the dollar is stable. We've got um, almost no inflation. In fact, inflation is too low. We need to make it go higher. Right. And, but, but that ignores the fact that asset prices are through the roof, you know, and th that does affect your cost of living. You know, it's, uh, it's yeah. inflation so it's not, in every sense of the word. Traditional consumer uh, goods inflation, it's really asset inflation we're seeing here. Yeah, and, right. and you know, the, uh, the New York Fed just run the, ran those numbers to see what inflation would be if they included stocks and bonds and houses. And they got 3 to 4% inflation. That sounds pretty low. 1 to 2%. <laughs> well, 3 to 4% is disastrous. That, that, um, cuts your savings in half in a very short time yeah. and it um, it leads people to front run it you know that that's high enough for people to figure it out yeah. and okay. historically when it gets to that point you you get all the bad effects of, of people cashing out their dollars to buy real stuff because that forces the price of real stuff up at an accelerating rate you know there's a uh, there's a, a school of economics that gets this called the Austrian school, and they have a, a term for that. They, they call it the crack-up boom. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll we have to take a break. We have to take a we'll, we'll get back to von Mises and all that afterwards. <laughs> so, uh, so this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Rubino. He's the manager at the website dollarcollapse.com. A book he came out on with this topic is called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how 
you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, John Rubino, is the manager at the dollarcollapse.com newsletter. Uh, website. Uh, his book is called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. Welcome back to the show, John. Hey, Jordan. So we've explained the situation, this huge amount of debt, uh, the, the avalanche ready to go with what that uh, whatever the, the snowflake is going to make it happen. Let's talk about how people can prepare for it. And so you're saying when this kind of inflation really gets going, that people want to go to hard assets instead of financial assets. Right now, stocks are doing well, stocks and bonds, but that will reverse, and people want to go into hard assets. So, I mean, like in Venezuela today, they want to own gold or something like that. I think they're even creating their own cryptocurrency there because the value of the currency disappears. Is that the general idea? It is. You know, in, in Venezuela, uh, to stay with that as an example, um, <clears throat> people don't want the local currency anymore because it's evaporating. It's losing value so quickly that uh, there's nothing you can really do with it. So they want other things that uh, that aren't going down in value at that same speed. So they use U.S. dollars. Um, and when they can get gold and silver, of course, they use that. And they use cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Um, so that is, you know, the... Venezuela is so much more fragile and so much more easy to screw up than the U.S. is, which is why we seem to be in better shape than them, even while we're taking on insane amounts of debt. Uh, it'll still happen here in some way at some point because we, we've already borrowed an unsustainable amount of money. And when it happens, people will start looking around for safer places to put their money. In other words, you, you don't want to own a government bond that pays you dollars year after year after year if the dollar is going to evaporate as people will start to expect if inflation goes to three four five percent you want to own something that is immune to that kind of a process and historically the stuff that works well in times like that um, are gold and silver which are forms of money that have just been around forever you know they've held their value through every kind of human folly you can think of 
and uh, and are still worth about the same now as they were during the days of the Roman Empire. So it's a good place to hide out. So let's uh, let's talk about gold first a little bit. So there are different ways of doing it. You can have physical coins. There are numismatic coins. There are gold exchange traded fund like a GLD. There are gold mining shares like a GDX. Uh, if you want to put together a gold portfolio to prepare for what you're saying is coming, what is the best way to do it? Well, th- there are a lot of different ways, as you said, to own gold, and all of them have advantages. So it's a nice idea to mix it up. You know, you definitely want some actual precious metals on hand because that that's your um, worst-case scenario insurance. In other words, if, if there's a Mad Max kind of thing that happens out there um, – you can take your your gold and silver coins, and you can you will always always be able to use them to buy life's necessities or to buy your way out of a jam or whatever. Uh, so that's the bedrock piece of a um, you know a crisis investing. And would you do bullion or numismatics? Bullion, uh, numismatics can work, but they require some skill. You know, you got to be able to choose correctly when you're buying a collectible. Uh, and you also have to pay up. You know, you're paying a big premium over the value of the gold in a rare coin. Uh, so for our purposes, in other words, for financial insurance, it's better just to buy, uh, you know, Krugerrands or something like that. Some kind of brand name, widely understood and recognized gold coin. Uh, and and pay as little over the spot price. In other words, whatever the, the price is today, you want to pay as little beyond that to your dealer as possible. So it's it's worth shopping around because these things are commodities. You know, they're they're all the same. And so do you wherever recommend you a particular see, place to, to buy a, at a good price or, or you know, minimum over spot? Well, that I'm a little nervous about because there there are five or six pretty good ones, and if I mention one or two, I leave out the other ones, and, okay. and they're 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 advertisers on Dollar Collapse. <laughs> so, okay, we can see them that way. That's fine. but but a, a way that you do find a good one is by to uh, you know just find the big names, and then check their Better Business Bureau scores, and if they have a you know really good reputation, which uh, the Better Business Bureau tracks then you have a reasonably good expectation that they'll treat you well. And okay, that's, so that's, that's physical gold. And then that's how physical. about gold exchange for trade funds? People say that GLD doesn't actually have the full gold that's in there and that at some point they could break their promise. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, people have looked into the, uh, the covenants of the GLD and they don't necessarily have to own any gold. So what, what that is is basically a trading vehicle. If you think gold, you know, if I, if I told you some inside information right now, that was going to send the price of gold up dramatically tomorrow, you would go out and buy GLD because you can buy it with a mouse click. It's like a stock um, and it will probably go up nicely, but you don't want to hold it long term because eventually there's a chance that it blows up on you, that, that it has some kind of a problem um, where everybody discovers that it doesn't actually have all the gold that it's supposed to have in its vaults and then everybody abandons it. And so the Meaning price- Meaning people would want to- exchange their shares for physical gold and they wouldn't have enough to meet all the demand is what you're saying. Yeah. You can't do that actually by buying the stock and then trying to exchange it. You don't have that right as an owner of GLD, but big institutions do have that right. And so there's a chance they just siphon all the gold that's there out of it and leave the shell of the ETF there for the individual investors who thought they were buying gold. 
So you want to avoid that. And um, there are other ones. There's one run by, for instance, Sprott Assets, Asset Management that is probably rock solid. You know, and that that's something where you can um, you can buy it with a, a reasonably solid expectation that the gold is actually there. And and so what, it'll what hold its value. symbol for that one? What is the stock symbol for the spot? I, I don't have that at my fingertips. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it owns physical gold again. Yeah, it owns physical gold. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I don't normally buy gold ETFs, so I don't have the, the um, tickers at my fingertips, but I do know who runs them generally. And then how about gold mining shares, which is kind of yeah. a leveraged way to play gold? Yeah, well, see, now they are where, where gold is, is a form of savings. Think of that as money. That's your your you know the equivalent of dollars under your mattress. That's what gold is. It's not going to make you a fortune. It's going to protect your purchasing power. Now, one step up for that from that in in you know in riskiness and return possibilities um, are, are the gold stocks. And basically, what you're buying with a gold mining stock is the gold they have in the ground and their management's ability to get it out in a cost-effective way. Uh, and if they succeed, then the price of a gold mining stock can go up two or three times faster than gold itself. So you can make a lot of money in a well-chosen gold stock, but you can also lose a lot because they can fail. You know, uh, they're, they're, the, the gold mining industry is littered with the bones <laughs> of yeah. hot gold mines that turned out to be scams or incompetently run or unlucky or any number of other things that can lower their value. So would so, you rather have the big established ones, Barrick Gold, Newmont, things like that, or would you rather have the, the juniors? Well, they, the, the big ones are relatively safe and recognizable, and they exist in, um, in ETFs, which you can buy, where they, they buy a bunch of the big ones for you. And that's a reasonable way to get exposure to the gold mining sector. But of course, it means you're buying the bad ones with the gold, one, the good ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to buy individual ones, you've got to do some research. You've got to, there, there's a guy named Jay Taylor who actually has a show on, uh, on your network here. Right, who, right. Who runs a newsletter and, and he finds junior miners for people that have good prospects. So you need a source of information like that if you're going to buy your own stocks. You need somebody who, who does this for a living who you can trust. Uh, and there are some names out there that uh, that have been around for a long time and have good reps in the industry. And and so do, it's totally Do you have totally two or three favorites? It. Two or three favorites that you would like? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the same problem with uh, as with ETFs where I, I don't necessarily want to name names because if I leave somebody out, that's that's okay. offensive to them. So, but uh, you know, Jay Taylor because um, yeah. he's somebody that uh, I go on his show. I've co-hosted his show before, and um, I I read his newsletter and and I like his stuff. But there are people who are Jay's peers out there that are fairly easy to find who are you know good to to look into. You know, good to know okay. about. And then how about silver? Uh, how does silver play if if you if the scenario you're talking about happens. What would happen to silver? Silver is um, is a much tinier market than gold. You know, there's a lot of gold out there because all the gold basically that has ever been mined is still in existence, sitting in vaults somewhere or in jewel box, jewelry boxes or whatever. Um, but 
silver is also an industrial metal besides being um, a monetary metal, which means that it gets used up. You know, there are silver and solar panels that might never be recycled and in all the electronics of the world. And so the supply of silver that's available to investors is tiny, which means that when this thing gets going, you know, when gold starts to go up, silver will go up dramatically faster than gold. And right now, the relationship between gold's price and silver's price is very favorable for silver. It takes about 80 ounces of silver to buy an ounce of gold, whereas historically, the ratio is half that or less. So you could see silver go up, you could see silver double just to get to a reasonable relationship with the price of gold. And if gold is going up at that time, that means silver has to more than double to get up there. It can go up three or four or five times. The same way you want physical silver coins, or would you do silver ETFs, SLV, things like that? Well, you start with silver coins. You know, that, that's your small change, relatively small change in yeah. a, a worst-case scenario. You buy smaller stuff, whereas with a you know, gold coin might be something you use for a car when the time comes. Silver coin for groceries or whatever, or gas in the car. Um, and then you can buy ETFs that have silver stocks. And you can buy the silver stocks themselves, the silver mining stocks themselves, um, as long as you you know pay attention and choose wisely. And some of these silver stocks are just going to be monsters when the time comes because you know their underlying asset is going to go through the roof, and their their share price is already kind of depressed because as as you said they haven't gone up very much lately. And so there will come a time when there are 10 baggers in that industry. In other words, things that go up 10 times in a relatively small period of time, you know, just a few years. Yeah, very good. Okay, we have to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Rubino. Uh, He is the manager at dollarcollapse.com. His book is called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. We just heard about what to do in gold and silver. Um, And we're going to be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategy screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Rubino. He is the manager at dollarcollapse.com. His book is called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. Welcome back to the show, John. Hi, Jordan. So we talked about gold. We talked about silver. Now, the new people, they say it's the alternative to gold and silver is cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and other things like that. Uh, they've had enormous rises, enormous falls. Is cryptocurrency going to become the new alternative to fiat currencies? Well, it's a fascinating idea. You know, private sector money that completely bypasses the whole government, regulator, big bank um, matrix is, is interesting. You know, and it's, I think it's too early to say whether it succeeds on a scale that, that, um, that makes it a replacement for the dollar and the euro in the end. But but it's definitely becoming a threat as perceived by a lot of the governments of the world. And that's that's what's um, dominating the story right now with Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies is that the uh, the empires are starting to strike back. They, I mean, they, crypt- they say they want to regulate it. South Korea went and closed down the cryptocurrency exchanges. The SEC says it wants to regulate these as securities. Uh, is, is, is that going to happen or are they just going to go offshore to a more uh, hospitable place? Well, we'll, we'll find out, <laughs> you know, because the, the Internet has turned out to be um, very robust and very hard to regulate, but not impossible. You know, within a country's borders, you can regulate the speech that takes place on the Internet. And cryptocurrencies are kind of like that. You know, they're kind of a, a, a financial version of free speech. So that that's why the story gets so interesting going forward, because it's starting to work. You know, people are buying cryptocurrencies with fiat currencies. In other words, they're shifting from that old kind of money to this new kind of money. Yes. And they're starting to use it for um, buying and selling. You know, they're starting to transact in, in cryptocurrencies. And governments now are watching with interest and a bit of fear because, um, you know, you, you can't minimize the amount of power that having a, a fiat currency, in other words, an unlimited currency printing press, uh, for a government. That's the ultimate power in this world, right? Uh, and they're not going to give that power up just because some new thing happens in the markets. You know, they, they don't re- respect markets already, you know, and they're certainly not going to um, allow themselves to go extinct in terms of power um, without a fight. So, so you're saying the reason, one of the reasons cryptocurrencies are rising is disillusionment with fiat currencies and people in the marketplace are seeing what's coming, the devaluation of currencies, and they want to have their money in a crypto. I mean, the most dramatic example would be Venezuela, where the currency is worthless. Oh, is yeah. that part of what's driving 
move into cryptocurrencies? That, that absolutely is. You know, if, if you go out and you buy a stock or a bond or a piece of real estate, you know, you're kind of betting against the dollar by buying something else, right? You're using your dollars, which you don't want to hold anywhere to buy that thing. But those things aren't other forms of money. But when you use dollars to buy Bitcoin, you are swapping your old form of money for a new, better form of money. That's the, in effect, that's the decision that you're making. And uh, so it's a different animal. You know, it's more like gold and silver in that sense. Yeah. That, uh, well, you know, you're buying a different kind of money. Right. Yeah. So, so let's take your scenario, which is this huge amount of debt, and the, the snowflake hits and the avalanche starts. <laughs> what would happen to cryptocurrencies in, in, when that happens? Um, to the extent that they function, you know, and, and that's not guaranteed yet because we don't know how the governments are going to mess with them. <clears throat> you know, if they try to regulate them out of existence or tax them out of existence or just flat out ban them, you know, th then they won't be functional forms of money necessarily. And then nothing much will happen with them. But if they turn out to be functional, you know, if they work as money, that's going to be one of the things we jump into when fiat currencies start to fail. Uh, because... They're frictionless. You know, you can you can buy them with a mouse click. You can hold them somewhere, you know, online in, in the virtual world or in a you know very easy to manage physical form, uh, and you can trade them over the internet. So they solve a lot of the problems that uh, that gold and silver have, which is you know portability, right? It's it's hard to hold a bunch of gold and go places with it because it's heavy, and silver of the same value is even heavier. Uh, whereas Bitcoin is weightless. Do, do you uh, trade Bitcoin yourself? And do you play cryptocurrencies yourself? No, you know what? I missed a chance to to get in early. <laughs> I had a, a friend who's an early adopter who tried to talk me into it. And I said, you know what? The governments are just going to hack this. It's not going to work. And, um, you know, I think it was like 40 or $50 per coin at the time. And, I, you know, I thought, just to be polite to this guy who was being nice to me, that I would, you know, toss him five grand and and let him invest it for me, and and but at the time, my stocks weren't up very much. I wasn't feeling smart and cocky, so I decided to be cautious instead of polite, and uh, you know that that was probably a um, half million dollar mistake. <laughs> and so so, but going up from here, I mean, Bitcoin went up to nineteen thousand. Now it's maybe ten thousand. Do you think in the long run it's going to go dramatically higher as as the scenario you talk about unfolds? Well, possibly, but there, there are a lot of moving parts here and we don't know how they're going to fit together because, for instance, there, there are a thousand other cryptocurrencies out there besides Bitcoin and they are functional in different ways. So if a better mousetrap is invented out there, in other words, a better cryptocurrency that works better for some reason than Bitcoin does, we would just all shift to that other cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin could evaporate while the cryptocurrency space expands like crazy. Um, on the other hand, Bitcoin has a early mover advantage. It's the big name in the industry. And, you know, the, if you've got to assign probabilities, it's probably more likely that it ends up being one of the cryptocurrencies that uh, that are still standing after the dust clears. But it's not guaranteed. You know, it's a technological thing rather than a, necessarily a fundamental thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Now it, We have about two minutes to go. So just kind of sum up what you see is coming and what people should do because you have this dramatic view of the future. We have about two oh, minutes. Oh, yeah. We're blowing it on an epic scale. You know, we're borrowing way too much money. 
Uh, and that is going to cause us to lose faith in the currencies in which all this debt is denominated. So we have a financial crisis of some sort out there that uh, that will make 2008, 2009 look like a you know a little walk in the park that just happened and then stopped. This is going to be longer and more serious than anything that we have lived through. And so the the intellectual challenge then is to figure out how to protect you yourself and your family from this, which is coming, you know, and that's that's interesting. And it's an investment play, so it's actually optimistic at the end of the day. If, if you're positioned right, or you could get wiped out if you're positioned wrong. Right, but, but I, you know, the optimistic side of this is, okay, if I get this right, I get rich. How, uh-huh. how do I get this right, you know? And that, that's what's fun about it. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been John Rubino. He's the manager at dollarcollapse.com, which talks about all these issues. His book is called The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. And thanks so much. You've been a great guest on The Money Answer Show, John. Thanks, Jordan. Enjoyed it. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.